Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, LifePoint. Thanks so much for joining us for our services online today. I think it's safe to say that a lot of things have been disrupted, disrupted and altered in this particular season. But time marches on, which means birthdays and holidays and anniversaries will still come around no matter what's going on in our world. This summer, Aaron, my wife, and I will be celebrating 10 years of marriage. And while that first decade of marriage has been filled with so much life, we still remember our wedding day as if it were yesterday. What helps us keep the memories of our wedding day so fresh is that we have various mementos from our wedding uh, around our house. We have a collage of wedding pictures that we walk by every single day. We have a photo book that we'll flip through occasionally. We even have this really cool uh, seating chart from our reception that's in this huge frame that's a reminder of all the people who came to celebrate our special day with us. And believe it or not, we still have Erin's bouquet of flowers that she carried down the aisle some 10 years ago. We also have a heart-shaped vase that is filled with sand. And like so many other couples, a portion of our ceremony included an illustration, in our case, unity sand, representing the fact that Aaron and I were becoming one in the marriage relationship. Now, this idea of a couple being united and becoming one is something that is taught in Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. See, this verse communicates that unity or oneness is God's design for the marriage relationship. However, God's design for unity extends well beyond the marriage relationship. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. So wherever you're watching, maybe it's on the couch in your living room or at a kitchen table enjoying breakfast, or maybe you haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Wherever you're at this morning, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bible or navigate in your Bible app to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And we're going to be taking a look at a prayer that Jesus prays just hours before he's crucified. Now, this prayer in John 17 is actually Jesus' longest recorded prayer in Scripture. During this prayer, Jesus first prays for himself, and then he turns his attention and begins to pray for his disciples, his followers who were with him during that specific period of time that he was doing earthly ministry. And then lastly, he prays for everyone who will become a follower of his at some later date. Now, by default, we fall into this third category, those who will come to believe in Jesus later on. And in verse 20, Jesus refers to us as those who will believe in me through their message. Now, before we dive into the content of Jesus' prayer for us, we we have to stop, we have to pause and clarify something. We have to ask the question, well, what is this message that Jesus is referring to? What is this message that will lead us to believe in Jesus? Some of you watching this morning, you may be very familiar with this message. You know it as the gospel message or the good news. 
but I realize that some of you who may be joining us this morning may, may be a little bit unclear as to what Jesus is referencing. You don't really know what he's talking about, this message that he's referring to. Well, Jesus is referring to the message that his original followers uh, communicated throughout the New Testament following Jesus' death and resurrection. And like I said, you might hear it called the gospel message or the good news. Paul provides a great summary of the gospel for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died to pay for our sins. Everything that we've done wrong. He died so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins ourselves. And now, not only that, he offers us this free gift of eternal life. And because it's free, there's nothing that we can do to pay for it. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn it. Jesus has already done all the work. And so this gift then is made available to you and me. And like any other gift that we receive, whether it's something on Christmas morning or for our birthday, anytime we receive a gift, all you have to do is accept it, receive it to make it yours. And when it comes to this specific gift of eternal life, we are able to receive that gift by putting our trust in Jesus alone to save us from our sins. This is the most important decision you will ever make. And I will argue once you've made that decision, it is the best decision you will ever make. If you're listening this morning and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, then that is your next step. We would love nothing more for you to take that step in your relationship with God. And the beauty of it is you can make that decision at any time or anywhere. And to do that, all you do is simply pray and tell God that you believe that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And as best as you know how, that you will commit to living your life for him. If that's a decision you end up making this morning, then we'd encourage you to fill out our online connection card and let us know. You can find that card at lifepoint.org slash livestream. And and we would love to know that you've made that decision so that we can celebrate that decision with you, even follow up and help you provide provide you with some next steps uh, that you can take in your relationship with God. Now, some of you may be hearing all of this and you don't have a relationship with God and and maybe you're not yet ready to make that step, but you're interested. You're curious. You're like, yeah, I would love to know a little bit more about this Jesus guy or what are we talking about, this gift of eternal life? What does that mean exactly? And and is it really free? Does it require anything of me? Well, if that's where you're at this morning, I would encourage you to fill out a connection card as well. Simply check the box that today you, wanna, you wanna, are looking to have a conversation with someone about your relationship with God, and we'd be happy to follow up with you and help answer any questions that you might have. So now let's turn our attention back to Jesus' prayer in John 17. And as we dive into the content of this prayer, we have to keep the context in mind. 
You see, Jesus prays this prayer hours before being crucified. He knows that he's going to be whipped. He knows that he's going to be beaten and humiliated and ultimately left to die on a cross. And so with these events on the horizon, things that he is certainly well aware of, what is it that Jesus prays for his future followers, for you and for me? Well, we find the answer to that question in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Allow me to read those verses for us this morning. Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Were you able to catch that? Were you able to see or hear what Jesus is praying about? And perhaps this comes as a bit of a surprise to you, but in his final hours, Jesus is praying that his future followers will be unified. In verses 20 and 21, he prays that we will be one. And in verse 23, Jesus prays that we will be brought to complete unity. Now, that may not have been the topic that you thought Jesus was going to address, especially at this point in his life with only hours left to live. <clears throat> but if nothing else, it reveals that our unity is hugely significant to Jesus. Like I said at the beginning, God's desire for unity extends well beyond the marriage relationship. Unity is also God's desire for the church, which includes us. And so as followers of Jesus, how are we unified? How can we fulfill God's desire for us, the church, to be one? Well, to answer that question, we have to understand two aspects of unity, positional and behavioral. And we'll start with a brief discussion on positional unity. The moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation, we are placed into the body of Christ. In other words, we are one in Christ. Scripture talks about this reality on a number of occasions, but nowhere more clearly than in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Paul writes, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As followers of Jesus, the good news is that there's nothing that you and I have to do to experience positional unity. By nature of your faith in Jesus, you are unified with others who also put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. Or to say it another way, positional unity is an automatic byproduct of your faith in Jesus, and it allows us to experience the unity in part that God desires for his church. However, in order for us to fully experience the unity that God desires, behavioral unity, the second aspect of unity, 
Behavioral unity must be part of the equation. You see, unlike positional unity, behavioral behavioral unity requires work. It requires effort. There's nothing automatic about it. Meaning, even though Christians are unified in our belief in Jesus, there's no guarantee that our positional unity will carry over to our behavior. This is why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He calls us to live out our positional unity, knowing that while we may be one in Christ, we don't always act like it. Therefore, we must strive to remain unified with other believers. We find this call to unity in scripture, uh, other scripture passages as well. In Romans 12, verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, to be clear, God isn't calling for the church to be uniform or to avoid all disagreements and conflict. You see, unity doesn't equal total agreement. One commentator writes, Biblical unity does not depend on uniformity, but harmony concerning essential truths. In spite of differences in style and opinion, as well as preferences and personal convictions, believers can come together in submission to the Lord and worship Him. And so while perfect unity or perfect harmony for believers may not be possible on this side of heaven, the call to unity still remains. Now, if you're anything like me, you may have a few thoughts or questions going through your mind in response to what you just heard. And maybe your thoughts are more like an internal rant that goes something like this. Well, if behavioral, perfect behavioral unity isn't possible on this side of heaven, how much effort do we really need to put in when it comes to being unified with other Christians. I mean, isn't our positional unity enough? Isn't it enough that we are one in Christ because of our shared belief in Jesus? After all, pursuing unity can take a lot of time and energy. And it's not always easy, and it can even be uncomfortable. And so if we can't do it perfectly, why should I even bother? Wouldn't it be easier and a much more efficient use of my time to just avoid those I'm at odds with instead of trying to be unified? I mean, at the end of the day, what does it really matter? Now, whether you have those thoughts going through your head or not, I can assure you that pursuing behavioral unity matters. Let's take a few minutes to talk about why that is. You see, first, behavioral unity matters because it brings glory to God. Check out what Paul writes in in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. He writes, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
You see, our unity as believers brings glory to God, and it can serve as an act of worship to Him. Therefore, striving for behavioral unity, even though it may be inefficient or challenging, is a worthwhile pursuit. Which means that you and I, we need to fight the ever-present temptation and urge to sweep things under the rug or pretend like disunity doesn't exist. Because in those times when we fail to pursue unity with others, we rob God of glory and praise. And I know that none of us want to be in that position. Behavioral unity also matters because it means, it's a means by which we can reach the world. Our unity provides us with an opportunity to reach those who don't yet know Jesus. John chapter 17 verse 23 says, May they be brought to complete unity. Why? Why, may we be brought, why must we be brought to complete unity? Why? Is it, it's, the, it's because we need to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, unity among followers of Jesus is one of the primary ways we will reach the world. However, in order for that to happen, the unity we have must be on display through our visible love for one another. John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In 1 John, he goes on to write, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You see, when our unity becomes visible through tangible acts of love, it will have an impact on a watching world. One commentator writes, Above all, this means that the church will have a quality of life that so stands out from what is available in the world that the world is going to take notice. When Christians are one with Christ and one with each other, the growth of the church is virtually inevitable. We live in a world in which division and disunity are commonplace. And I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to any of you. We see disunity in politics. We see it in business. We see it among ethnicities. We see it in marriages. We see it in families. We see it on social media. And sadly, we even see it in the local church at times. The world is divided. And that's not going to change. In fact, it's it's probably only going to get worse. Therefore, when the church displays unity, that is unlike the division that has become the norm in our society, our unity stands out like a light in the darkness. Of course, unity is messy. It requires effort. It is going to be painful. It is hard work. But the cost of unity is nothing compared to the benefit it will be, not only to those who are striving after it, but to those who see unity on display and find Jesus as the source 
of it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that is positionally and behaviorally unified so that God is glorified and the world is reached. And assuming that we share that desire, we have to ask ourselves this question. What can we do as members of LifePoint, followers of Jesus, to pursue unity with one another? We'll answer that question in just a moment, but first, if uh, allow me to briefly pause to, to share some of the ways that the unity is on display through visible acts of love performed by our LifePoint family just recently. A couple of weeks ago, one individual in our church contacted every household with an LP member considered to be in the at-risk age group. And the purpose of that call was to simply check in on them and, and ask them if they had any needs that could be met by our church family. Over the next two weeks, the upcoming weeks, our congregational care team, among others from our church family who have volunteered to help, will be calling every member of the LifePoint family, assuming we have your contact information, to connect with them and see how they're doing. Our men's and women's ministry teams will be reaching out to contact the men and women of our church to provide and offer support and encouragement. We've had over 50 people submit a give help form on our website to offer their services in a number of different areas. Many of those who have stepped up to serve are helping with our gift of groceries ministry. Now, you may know that LifePoint picks up groceries uh, six days a week from Raley's and drops them off at our sister church, New Hope, in South Sacramento. And over 300 families gather at New Hope to receive food every Thursday afternoon. However, many of the members of our Gift of Groceries team are in the at-risk population and we're no longer able to pick up groceries from Raley's and drop them off at New Hope during this season. And so thus the supply chain of food to New Hope was in jeopardy. Thankfully though, those who volunteered through our Give Help form, they've served and, and it's allowed us to continue receiving food from Raley's in order to provide the food to families in South Sacramento who are in great need, especially during this time. And these are just a few of the ways that LifePoint has come together as a unified body to show love to others. And, and I think that's worth pausing for a moment to celebrate. And so allow me to say, job well done. And let's keep going. So let's turn our attention then back to our question. Well, what then can we do to pursue unity with one another? And while we have stepped up in some incredible ways, there's so many amazing things happening right now. There's still more that, we, that can be done to pursue unity with one another. Our pastoral staff here at LifePoint would encourage all of you to strive for unity by making an extra effort to connect with one another, especially in this season. Many of us already have this natural drift toward isolation. I would imagine that is only magnified in this time when we're not able to meet together physically. However, social distancing does not mean spiritual isolation. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
So meeting together, it, it may look a little different these days, but it's certainly not impossible. So with that being said, uh, allow me to encourage you to, to carve out some time this week and really however, for however long we're in this season to reach out to other members of LifePoint. Give them a call, shoot them a text message, send them an email, jump on FaceTime with them for a little while, write them a note, drop it in the mail. Maybe you'll even choose to join one of our life groups online as a way to connect and continue to foster authentic community during this particular time. You see, we have no reason not to connect and show unity through our love and care for one another. And as we do so, May the watching world see Jesus as the source of our unity and be drawn to a relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word, God. We're grateful for how it challenges us. We're grateful for the encouragement and the hope and, and, and just the grace that it provides to us, even in the midst of this season where there's, there's so much dis- disruption, God, but we know that you're still in control. God, I pray for, for LifePoint, your church, God, that we would be able to be unified and experience growing unity as we continue in this season together, God. And may the unity that we display in, in how we care and love for one another, God, may that be seen by a watching world, no, so, not so that we can get a pat on the back, God, so that you are glorified and so that people might seek out the source of that unity, God, and find you and be drawn into a relationship relationship with you. God, that is our desire. We believe that and know that that is at your heart as well. God, thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and the honor because it's yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.